This is Jane Smith reporting for WASP News. We report so you don't have to decide. Now, we're live outside of Sovereign Studios, where a protest has been taking place. Uh, sir, sir, what is going on here? We're going to put an end to his godless hedonism. He's corrupting the entire planet. Uh, you must be talking about the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. That's right. That sex fiend of an anarchist has crossed the line. We're going to rip his triple black clothing and then him to shreds. But Brian Sovereign believes in nonviolence. We don't care. He wants to end government and wants to pervert science and technology to do it. Brian Sovereign has to be stopped. This just in. Brian Sovereign is coming out of the studio. like a supervillain because when you're in a world where the military all around the world are considered heroes you better believe the golden stallion's the baddest of the bad by those metrics baby let's get into it we got a great episode of sovereign tech lined up for you. a whole lot of uh, really interesting topics uh to talk about uh, as always i like to think but some episodes really line them up uh, much better, perhaps, than others. Anyway, yes, you heard the new intros, the new uh, the new bumpers, music beds, whatever. Got a lot of great reaction from that. People said they love it, and I'm happy to hear it because I enjoy the hell out of doing those things. In fact, I got an email from somebody asking me, hey, could you talk about how you go about making your podcast and all that? And I did a special a little while back. It was a little over a year ago, maybe, where I did that. But I'm going to I'm gonna do a, a, a refresh. I'm going to do a new new one of that. Not in this episode, but I am going to release a special where I do talk about how I go about making the show, you know, really, really in depth this time, more so, too, uh, because they asked, you know, what's the emotional stage got to get in to do all this stuff. Uh, but anyway, so that's coming up. Whole lot of things coming up, <laughs> but let's get right in. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into the random access, baby, because again, a ton to cover this week. Uh, let's see. First things first. Actually, I'm going to tell you something I'm not going to cover this week, uh, but I will get into it maybe after a little more information comes out. And what this is, is there was kind of a big story that a uh, airline passenger actually hacked or cracked whatever into uh the main controls of an airplane that he was flying in and a jet 
that he was in. And he did it all from the, you know, this little control box that largely controls uh, the the entertainment aspects of each seat on the airplane or more or less each seat. Uh, Anyway, the FBI arrested him when he landed because he was tweeting about it, how he did it, all the stuff, blah, blah, blah. Uh, The whole thing seems very odd to me, very strange. Uh, First off, I would not myself. I would not go you know, hacking a plane that I happen to be flying in. Uh, <laughs> that seems to be uh, a recipe for disaster, in in my opinion, uh, just, just as I wouldn't hack a car, uh, you know, unless my life was on the line, that I was driving. Okay, so uh, there, there's just a lot of stupidity seemed to be going around with this story. I'm not saying it's not implausible or even impossible, uh, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, is you're telling me the entertainment systems on the planes aren't completely sandboxed and separate from the main controls of the plane. Uh, I mean, maybe not, you know, I, I don't know, but either way, I'm holding off on a lot more information about this story. But right now in my book, uh, this whole airplane hacking thing that occurred is very, very suspect. Uh, I don't know that <laughs> I, yeah, I, I could come up with all kinds of ideas. Is it just a way for, uh, you know, to create a greater distrust of those that claim to be hackers, you know, by by the media and by, you know, they, them, those or whatever? Hey, I don't, you know, maybe um, I've heard a ton of theories as to what this was really all about or if it even really happened. But that's the thing. I'm not going to cover it. When we have more info, I will make it a primary hack sec. I'll get right into it uh, by all means. So. If you're wondering about my thoughts on that, that's about the best I can tell you right now. I'm waiting for more information. I don't I don't like to, you know, I mean, because that's the thing, right? And maybe we'll get into this a little bit during the climax, but like so many websites, uh, like they just they just pounce on anything that can create a headline and generate some web traffic or generate some sales, right? And that's annoying as fuck because first off, usually the headline, you know, doesn't doesn't pay off. It's just a tease with no pay. Okay. Uh, and you know, and then, then the fact that, that they don't really know anything of what's even going on. I mean, I mean, there's, there's not enough information and sometimes you get straight up lied to it. Oh, it's, it's terrible. So, (laughs) but anyway, uh, you know, that, that's something too, if you want to check out some, you know, some info and I do usually wait at least a few days, if not much longer, uh, to report on something, uh, darkandroid.info that is live. I've announced it before, but I, I post to it every other day. I mean, you know, as far as the whole Zomi offline games.com website, I, I post something every day, uh, there, but, um, you know, with darkandroid.info, I, I try to put out a good amount of content uh, every week. So, you know, do do check that out, of course, uh, because I don't pounce on the news. I wait for it to settle a little bit and then, you know, I can disseminate a little bit of truth uh, about the matter. So anyway, uh, you know, but that reminds me something I did announce on the website uh, this week is that there will be a live recording of Sovereign Tech. Now, I'm not, it's, I don't think it's going to air live on LRN. I haven't set up for that. But on June 27th at Porkfest, that's a Saturday, from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern, there will I will be recording a live Sovereign Tech. And I've got, I have guests on. Uh, the, the really, the, you know, the amazing MK Lord said she'd love to be on. Uh, I'm sure there's, there's plenty of other people. Of course, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy will be there. Uh, maybe I can get Paige Peterson out. We'll, we'll see who we can get uh, on the show. But uh, I, I, you know, I said, I, I told people in the, in the post, I said, 
I might have to bring a video camera for this one because I've got, I plan on giveaways, doing all kinds of wild stuff. I want it to be a really good time. And if a lot of people like it and if a lot of people attend it, uh, then maybe I'll make it an annual thing. We'll see. I don't know. So that's coming up. Uh, if you're going to be at Pork Fest, of course, the Porcupine Freedom Festival, uh, then, you know, please come and catch that. It's really a prime time. I'm really honored. Ian Freeman gave me this. I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, I want to do the Sovereign Tech thing. And he said, oh, how's four to six sound on Saturday? You know, when Saturday is one of the is pretty much the biggest day for Porkfest. Uh, I said, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> so uh, really honored about that. But anyway, uh, let's get into the rest of the random access because, uh, OK, well, Facebook, here we go. A little Facebook news. So this is, you know, I don't like Facebook at all. Uh, but I'm amazed that they have really, you know, something science fiction has talked about for a very long time was uh, was vid phones, you know, where you're not just talking to the person, uh, but you're actually doing, you know, you have video involved. And certainly Apple has kind of led the charge on this. And, and yes, there's Skype, but we all know about Skype connection problems as to where like FaceTime on Apple generally, uh, as I understand it, I haven't used it that much, but as I understand it, it's a pretty solid implementation. And of course, that's because Apple has total control and they don't have to write it for cross platform and you run into coding and bug problems and all this bullshit. Okay. Uh, but Facebook is apparently, and, and, Ironically, I think they use Skype as their back end for this, but they have made video messaging an absolute reality in Facebook Messenger uh, across the board, totally cross platform. And that is kind of that. Is, that really is sort of that that science fiction dream come true where people where everybody has a vid phone uh, and it's easy to use. The only thing is, is that. You know, it's not like the technology didn't exist before or the desire didn't exist before for for vid phone. Uh, the thing was, is that I think people, once they used it a little bit, they saw how pointless it was like, like there's, there's no real attraction to it. Uh, so I think that as far as it being a mobile prospect, this idea of video messaging, I don't think that's ever going to take off. Like it's not going to be, or at least it's not going to have widespread adoption. Uh, I mean, most people don't even like to talk on the phone anymore. They just text, you know, everything's gone kind of, uh, you know, backwards and I don't mean in a bad way. Okay, you know, everything's just kind of gone back to to where you're you're effectively using the telegraph. So and that's because people like to take control of their time. That's sort of been the, the, the if there's any mass benefit to a lot of the technology that's come out, it's been that you are able to, to you know, to uh, take in things at your own pace. And that's that's why texts are so popular, in my opinion, is because you can get back to it whenever you want. It's not like when you're on the phone and you have to answer right away. You can take time to think about what you want to say, things like that. And video calling would be the same problem as if you're doing an actual voice phone call. So I don't think, you know, I'm not sure why Facebook thought that this was such a, you know, an important thing to, to want to implement. Um, but it's there. I don't know. Maybe it'll become required. Maybe somehow some state will say, okay, well, you know, we're not just going to phone verify. We're going to video phone verify uh, that it's you. Maybe it'll be some kind of security thing. Not from not that not security like, you know, people, you know, let, that anarchists would want uh, per se, because anarchists, you know, should be big on wanting anonymity and, or not should. But uh, generally are big on having anonymity, especially in a state run world. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the big push was or why it was such a big deal that it existed, because honestly, I don't think most people really want this. Not not at the level that they released it on. 
So anyway, but also Facebook Messenger, I guess they're going to be putting games in Facebook Messenger. Now, games like Candy Crush and things like that, I don't think they plan on, you know, maybe they do, but I don't think they plan on putting like AAA games inside of Facebook Messenger. That doesn't really make sense for that platform, uh, especially when Facebook owns Oculus Rift, though maybe that's kind of... Maybe, you know, maybe that's where that's all going, because the idea of putting games into allowing Messenger to run games, of course, Messenger, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, they talked about it at F8. They wanted to become a platform. And that, of course, is largely because Facebook, as we know it, as in the news feed and whatever else, uh, is really, you know, I think people are running away from it. And so they're changing their business model to, you know, being, quote unquote, more personable or whatever. And so they've turned Messenger into a platform because so many people use uh, Messenger and probably eventually WhatsApp and Messenger will, you know, come together, uh, you know, because Facebook owns WhatsApp. Um, but maybe that's what this is all about is really Oculus is Messenger. You know, maybe Messenger will become that area, kind of like if you're into gaming, like Battle.net is for Blizzard, right, for World of Warcraft and all that stuff or what it was where you would come together and you could enter virtual worlds together within this group in messenger. Cause you can do the grouping in messenger, right? So maybe that's the end game with starting to put games into messenger is to lead to where, you know, this is where everything gets done because the initial uses, we're going to talk more about virtual reality uh, in our main story this week, but the initial uses, no doubt for virtual reality is going to be gaming. And so maybe this is the way to get people into, uh, you know, to get used to using virtual reality for when they're doing messaging. Maybe that's the whole point to the video protocol. Maybe all of this is just to underscore or to undercurrent what Oculus can do. Video messaging, which allows for the transmission of, of course, the virtual reality uh, video. And then games, which, of course, is what at first anyway, virtual reality uh, will be largely used for largely. So maybe that's what that's all about. All of that, it's just this trifecta of, you know, messaging, video messaging, games, virtual reality. Maybe that's maybe that's the score. So anyway, uh, let's get into the next little bit of, of news here in the random access. Google Tone. Now, this is interesting. <laughs> OK, and I'm going to throw something out to you with Google Tone that I have no evidence to back it up whatsoever. It is pure speculation, but I like to have fun with it. And so Google Tone is this idea. First off, uh, and I'll tell you when I'm speculating because Google Tone is real. Uh, Google Tone is this, you, you put an extension in your Chrome web browser, okay? And then you can send, like say you're sitting in a group or something, or it can even be done over Hangouts. If you want to send somebody a link to go to, okay, to go to a website, you can actually have... Uh, uh, Chrome transmit the sound. It sounds like birds chirping. Okay. And then the, you know, whatever web browser can hear it will, will, you know, go to that website. Suddenly it'll open up the link and it'll, and it'll go to that website. Now, the interesting thing about Google tone, first off is that this is in a very real sense, this is bad bios. This is exactly what Dragos was talking about. Uh, you know, was that a year ago or so now? And people were calling him crazy and we found out that he wasn't crazy. He was saying, no, look, somebody's sending some kind of data to my computer via the microphone. It's getting received via the microphone. Something sending a hypersonic sound. Now, Google Tone isn't hypersonic. OK, it, like I said, it sounds more like birds chirping. Um, but 
that's really it. it it's it's bad bios just now it's being used for some kind of popular thing I, or i mean it's it's comparable to bad bios so that you know for for me what google tone says initially as far as all right what the hell do you do about this because what else could they send if they're not just sending little hyperlinks okay uh yeah i i'd rip out the microphone <laughs> I'd, I'd rip microphones right out of your computer, you know, if, if you're concerned about this. Um, that's something I, we've talked about a long time ago, that, that microphones need to get cut, uh, you know, out of these machines because bad BIOS is a reality. And now it, it's, it's you know, in fact, the, the idea of that data getting transmitted via sound is now almost popular. I mean, you know, well, I don't know how well Google Tone is going to take off, but it's out there. So anyway, that that's the reality of Google Tone. But let's get into the speculation of Google Tone. Let's get a little. I know I know a lot of Sovereign Tech listeners really enjoy it when I go kind of historical and I go theoretical. So so pure speculation here. There is a thing called the language of the birds. Okay, and you can look this up, Wikipedia, whatever, and you can read about it. And this is something that was very popular in alchemy circles in like during the the Renaissance, during the Enlightenment. There was this kind of this theory. And then there's some texts that that kind of go into it, you know, earlier than that. But it was this idea that that this is what how the angels. So, yeah, we're we're going that that crazy. Okay, (laughs) this is how the angels spoke to each other. This is the language of God is the language of the birds and it's called the language of the birds because it sounds like bird song. And so I was actually, I was watching an episode of, I think it was this week in Google um, because I listened to that out of self-defense, how to protect myself from Google. And, (laughs) uh, And there was a Kevin Marks was on and he had, he was sitting in a garden or something and there was birds chirping and Leo Laporte said, Boy, Kevin is like, is, is that Google Tone or are those actual birds chirping? And when he said that, it just clicked. And I was like, holy shit, you know, <laughs> and I thought it was like the language of the birds. And I and I thought so. So the theory that I rolled around in my mind for a moment, pure speculation, I've got nothing to back it up. OK. Is that what if there was, you know, an advanced civilization thousands of years ago and that they transmitted important information and data through using a technology similar to Google tone and that, you know, ancient or, you know, ancient humans, Sumerians, whoever just called it the language of the birds because it sounded like birds, but they knew important things happened when it was spoken. So again, pure speculation on my part, but I like to have that kind of fun. And so do a lot of sovereign tech listeners. So I do it, Uh, (laughs) but but have fun with that. Uh, just a just a really you know an interesting uh, little theory in my opinion. Uh, let's get in one last bit of random access. Uh, this is a this is okay. It's cool and it's not cool. So NASA has you know the the big news was is that NASA no longer has a space shuttle. They're not launching you know humans into space. Everybody's using Russia. They're all going to Star City to do that sort of thing using Soyuz craft. And uh, but they actually do have somewhat of a program that they are working with the Air Force on, and that's the the X thirty seven B. And this is it looks kind of like a space shuttle. It's smaller, significantly smaller than a space shuttle. It is not manned. It is a completely robotic craft, but it operates very similar to a shuttle where it gets launched, you know, uh, vertically and it lands horizontally, all robotically controlled, of course. And this is a popular I think this is the fourth launch that they had in this past week uh, of the X-37B. 
and it is often used as a testbed for various technologies. Now, the fourth launch in particular, and a lot of this stuff gets kind of classified, but then there's, you know, stuff that isn't. The fourth launch in particular was testing a couple of very interesting technologies that actually really excited me. Uh, as much as I don't get it, you know, I believe me, I know it's government money and that sucks ass. Okay. But it's, it's cool to see technologies being a reality at certain points. One of them was, is that there was an actual electric as in, uh, you know, electric propulsion thruster system that is being tested for the air force. Now I don't like that it's being tested for the air force. Okay. I don't need more efficient killing machines, but I like the idea of new engine designs like, you know, like an electric thrust you know, or an electric electrical propulsion uh, thruster. I thought that that was fascinating to hear that was getting done, but that's not the real, the real kicker. The real beauty that the X-37B was testing supposedly was a solar, well, not supposedly it's true, but a solar sail, a solar sail for propulsion and for a whole slew of other things. Uh, I think that that's a really, really exciting uh, technology. In fact, there was a great episode of Deep Space Nine, uh, I want to say in maybe the fourth season, where uh, Commander Sisko and his son Jake, they make, a, uh, they make an old Bajoran solar starship, solar sailing starship. And it's this beautiful ship because it has these gorgeous sails that go up, you know, definitely evokes a lot of, uh, you know, kind of clipper ship uh, mystique or whatever, <laughs> you know, that, uh, you know, romanticism uh, that, that, that comes with that kind of era if you're into that sort of thing, you know, Patrick O'Brien's books and things like that. And, uh, and I, I just think it's a really cool technology, a really clean and, you know, clean technology and something that can be, you know, incredibly efficient and abundant in its use of energy. Uh, so hearing that those two new, you know, propulsion types were getting tested and that they're very much, you know, could very much be a reality uh, was pretty exciting stuff. So that said, of course, I don't support tax dollars getting used for this stuff. I do not support the air. I don't support any government thing. OK, I, I, I don't. But to know that the technologies exist, that is interesting and worth bringing up so but let's talking about other technologies that exist and perhaps their their far future let's talk about virtual reality we kind of broke into that just a, a little bit um, a minute ago of course facebook is still very much leading the charge uh, as far as virtual reality goes with the oculus rift and uh, those devices are supposed to i think it's either end of this year or early 2016 when they're saying that the oculus rift is going to be out there and uh, and ready to go so but i've got a story here that i want to read it's from venture beat and it's by actually a guy we did we opened up with last week which is uh, dylan tweeny a very unfortunate name but <laughs> uh and it is virtual reality porn we're uh we're cool with it oculus exec says so let, let's read this here in a development that will surprise absolutely no one. Oculus VR's virtual reality headsets will be used for immersive 3D pornography. What is a bit surprising is that Facebook owned Oculus is totally OK with that use of its upcoming platform for VR. At least one Oculus exec is. The Oculus, quote, the Oculus Rift is an open platform. We don't control what software can run on it, uh, end quote. Oculus founder Palmer Lucky said at a conference today in San Jose, according to Variety. That was in response to a question about the potential for X-rated content such as pornographic games, 3D porn movies, or interactive VR sex apps. It's a surprising attitude for Facebook to take, given how prudish the company is regarding pornography, nudity, breastfeeding photos, or even post uh, mastectomy tattoo photos on the Facebook 
website. Now I want to, I want to stop there. Yes, that is surprising that they are okay with it. What's more surprising is, and I don't know to what degree this is, you know, cause the word open can get used a lot. Okay. But what is more surprising to me is that Oculus is going to be an open platform. That's mind boggling. Uh, to me, because I haven't really heard that from any of the major headset things. Some of the people doing stuff with Google Cardboard is different, uh, like the Dodo case and whatever. Uh, but I haven't really heard from like HTC or some of these other companies developing VR headsets that are going to actually be a reality and are going to come out that they are planning on being a very open platform. So that's the more shocking of the attitudes isn't the lack of prudishness on Facebook's part, but on the fact that they are going to leave it open. But maybe maybe their definition of open means uh, something else. Let's uh, let's read down here. To be clear, Oculus slash Facebook will control apps that are distributed through the Oculus store whose terms of service prohibit pornographic content but if you are a porn developer and have some other distribution panel you'd like a uh, channel you'd like to use for your vr enhanced enhanced apps oculus won't be doing anything to stop you apparently so uh stallion cutting in this is similar to how you can choose and we'll talk about this later how instead of using the play store the google play store on your android device you can use fdroid or the amazon app store or whatever. So you can put in other stores. This is really interesting. I, I'm shocked that this is this is so. Uh, reading on. The Oculus Rift is a 3D headset that has been in development for a number of years. Facebook acquired Oculus for about $2 billion in 2014. The gadget won't be commercially available until the first quarter of 2016, Facebook says, and then only for high-end Windows PCs. Uh, Variety's reporter said that other makers of VR products on the same panel were more squirrely in their answers. Samsung, Six, uh, Six Sense, and Google appear to have dodged questions about virtual sex. Um, yeah, so that, that, all that really just kind of, you know, proves that I was trying to say there. Um, I want to touch on that on just something real quick before we get into the meat of what I want to talk about here, uh, that the, the specs that it takes to run Oculus, you know, to run the Oculus Rift, I mean, it takes a lot of power. Like as far as a graphics card, it needs a, uh, an NVIDIA 970 and that's, not that old. Like, I mean, you're, you're going to hash out pretty good to, to get your hands on a 970. Um, I don't know if there's a laptop out there that could actually run Oculus Rift, uh, which granted, you know, one could make the argument, well, you know, you're not going to be walking around with your laptop wearing the Oculus Rift. No, absolutely not. You wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> one of the reasons I think Oculus is going to do very well is because its initial implementation, as I understand it, does not have a camera in the front of it. You know, there's no camera on it. It's a very private and personal device, which is, as has been rightly stated by other tech journalists, the the real reason that, that Google Glass may have never taken off was because of that fucking camera that you couldn't do anything about, um, you know, that was facing outward at everybody else. And uh, and quote unquote invading their space, though let, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, so anyway, you know the, the specs are high. So keep in mind if you're look if you're excited about Oculus Rift and you need a new computer, you might want to hold off. And if you can wait until Oculus comes out, I'm sure there's going to be laptops that'll have like the branding saying Oculus Ready. Or there'll be desktops or whatever that'll all say Oculus ready, and that'll be the thing you're looking for. So if you can hold off for that, I recommend it. Um, but getting into the finer points of porn being on the Oculus. So some people have used porn on, in fact, Leo Laporte, who I mentioned earlier, he used, uh, uh, he, he experimented with porn 
in virtual reality on an Oculus. And he said it was mind blowing. He said it was amazing to use. Um, and I also, I have to give him credit because he actually said that when he used it, he set himself because you could choose, okay, are you the man or the woman? And he chose to be the woman to see what it was like in that virtual sex experience. And I thought that was interesting. Kudos to him for trying that. Cause I don't know if I would have, um, and he said it was just that, you know, it's this really like, like you see that happen and you just go, holy shit, this is the future. Now I want to talk about that future because it's going to happen, you know, but we need to be clear on terms because when I'm talking about sex on virtual reality, when I'm talking about it here, I'm talking about sex, not necessarily porn. Okay. And I, you know, I want to delineate on that. What I'm saying is, is a sexual experience of your choosing, not a curated experience that comes off as a first person view of a movie of a porno, you know, of a pornographic film. Okay. Not talking about that. I'm talking about using virtual reality for, you know, for sex and it being a controlled experience by the user, uh, not something that you kind of go through, you know, that you just go through the motions with. Um, and I think this is going to change things. I think this is, it, it's theoretical on my part, um, but I think it's going to change things big time uh, because what's going to happen is, and I think a lot of people are asking questions about this, is this right or wrong? I think what's going to happen is, is that, you know, you're that next door neighbor that you've always wanted to fuck. Now you're going to get your chance. It's not going to be the real person and nothing will ever replace the real person. In my opinion, it doesn't matter what, what gets done. You know, you could have nano uh, feedback sensors in your body. And I don't think, I think you'd notice a difference. Uh, we can go into the science of that in another time, but you know, you're going to get that opportunity. All those people, you know, that you've always thought about, boy, what would it be like to be with her? What would it be like to be with her? You're going to get the chance to do. And I think that, you know, as far as feedback mechanisms, I think that's going to be a very popular thing. Maybe it'll be full on suits, kind of like what was shown off way back um, in the uh, Lawnmower Man movies, right? <laughs> From the 90s. Boy, those are gold. Um, well, the first one was, the second one was, yeah. I think that, that, you know, you're going to get that opportunity. And I think what's going to happen is, for a lot of people, is it's going to relieve a, a lot of tensions. It's going to relieve a lot, a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of stressors that I think exist within people. I mean, how many people, you know, put up a whole act or whatever else just because they want to fuck somebody? Uh, how many people, you know, what gets, <laughs> what rings get run or, you know, <laughs> you know, what circles get run around just to get with somebody? You know, and, and you don't want a full on relationship. You just want to fuck them. You want to know what that's like or whatever the case may be. And honestly, I think for a lot of people, and I'm not saying it's healthy. I'm not saying that, 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 that it's a good thing that people think this way or whatever. I'm not, you know, maybe not necessarily saying it's bad either. I mean, everybody has fantasies. Okay. But I wonder, you know, how, how much this will relieve when people can just download, you know, uh, I don't know. They, they could, they could download Kathy Ireland, right. And find out what it was like to actually be with them. And I think one of the more interesting things that'll occur out of this is in marketing. And this is really the end game of what I'm saying is that it may bring sex back to where it is something that is, I mean, there's going to be addicts that use this sort of thing. And I don't mean sex addicts. I just mean people will get addicted in general to this and they will lose touch with reality. Like many people do with many things. It's not just that it's sex. 
But I think that what could happen is, is that, you know, I mean, sex sells, right? That's, that's the saying, not talking about prostitution. I'm saying that like literally, you know, having when Budweiser does a commercial and they have a bunch of, you know, quote unquote, conventionally hot women doing things, uh, you know, and holding a Budweiser, that is a way of getting you to buy Budweiser. But the thing is, is that if you could now just download that person, you don't need to go get the Budweiser. You don't need to go buy anything other than the VR headset. And, and you know, I know people will say, well, they'll charge you to be able to use those models. No, 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 no. Believe me, we already see the the undercurrent that 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 Oculus is or at least VR in general is going to have a lot of open source elements. And there's going to be somebody that open sources or torrents, you know, 3D models. And at some point, I imagine they'll be very realistic, incredibly realistic 3D models uh, of a person. And again, you'll be wearing, you know, an experience suit that will, um, you know, simulate the heat of the person next to you, all these different things. And I think for again, for most people, that'll be enough for that five minute or even hell 15 second <laughs> experience of getting off, you know. And so I think it's it may really kill that whole notion. VR sex, not VR porn. But VR sex may kill the entire notion of sex cells. And also, actually, lovely and hyper-intelligent actor Stephanie Murphy, if she doesn't mind me quoting her, uh, she made a great point that this is going to make sex work an incredibly safe situation. You know, we talk about how Silk Road made the drug trade or, you know, uh, you know selling of drugs a very safe situation. Uh, VR sex is really going to improve the conditions, um, you know, for, for prostitutes. Will it eliminate them? No, probably not, because, it, you know, this will just I think this will end up becoming like uh, like the 900, the one nine hundred lines of the 90s where they're still going to control. You're going to interact with the human that, that does what you want. Maybe AIs of some kind, you know, uh, a more uh, a dumber AI, not a not a not a superior AI or whatever those terms are. Um, you know, we'll, we'll be able to react better and you can program the whole situation or whatever. But I think people are still going to want some degree of randomosity and they're going to want things that are out of their control, which probably only another human uh, could really more most accurately provide. So I think VR sex is really going to change the landscape of how sex is considered in our culture. Uh, I think it's going to very much, it's still going to be in some ways behind closed doors or behind a visor in front of your face, but it's not going to have to stay locked up in your brain. Okay. It can, it, it'll be able to come out a little and it'll be more than fantasy and people will be able to, you know, I mean, there's dangers all the way around. Um, but I think, you know, I'd almost support it just because it would eliminate the whole marketing scheme of sex, 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 buy the beer, buy the cigarette, whatever, sex, you know, buy the buy the food, sex, you, you know what I mean? To, to get rid of that and to get sex back and it's, I don't want to say where it's meant to be, but I'll say that I think that's an exciting proposition. So VR sex, woohoo! It is the year 91001 BCE. Witness humanity's origins in Hypercronius, a classic role-playing game for Windows PCs with a story like no other game before. A liberty-oriented experience that is not to be missed. Go to zog.ninja to get your copy of Hypercronius today. Use the code SVT to get $1 off. Hypercronius, zog.ninja, code SVT. Thank you for the exclusive, Mr. Sovereign. Please, Jane. 
It'll be our pleasure. Tea? Oh, thank you. I must say, for an anarchist, you're not what I expected. I'll assume that's a compliment. It is. Uh, is it true what they say about you? That you're a godless hedonist, bent on ending governments and conservative values? All true. But, but, what about supporting the troops? Marriage, white picket fences, and apple pie? (laughs) Come on, Jane. I love pie. As far as everything else, it's all just here to keep you from being happy. Wouldn't you rather be traveling the world, fucking every day, not worrying about what other people think? Oh, oh my, Mr. Sovereign. Come to think of it, I never felt like I fit into the system very well. I always wondered what it's like to be with an anarchist. Well, here's your chance to roll the roulette wheel and find out. It is time for Tech Roulette, where I cover the stories that get sent in to me through the various channels available. Uh, Of course, you can go to zog.ninja or sovereigntech.ninja, and there is a contact us tab there and you can just click on that and there's a million ways to get in touch with the show and you can send me stories uh there's bit message there's even there's a contact form right there so you don't have to actually give out any information i don't need your email unless you want me to reply to you You don't have to give your name uh you know nothing of the sort uh there's twitter of course google plus there's tons tons of different ways uh to get in touch and share stuff um with the show so before uh before i get into uh the, the main tech roulette uh story here i do want to mention that a what i'm sure uh because what i've read of it so far what i've seen of it so far and heard of it so far is phenomenal uh a great book is out there and available and it's by uh, a good friend uh wes bertrand and it's complete liberty inside and out i put a link in the show notes in the appendix of the show notes to where you can grab the it'll let you you can grab either the kindle version or you can grab, there's even an audible version. And in fact, if you listen to the complete Liberty podcast, um, Wes has been releasing, like, I think the first three chapters are already out for you to listen to for free. So you can taste this before, you know, you go all the way with it. Uh, but I guarantee, <laughs> I mean, you know, the conversations I get to have with Wes are, are, are phenomenal. Uh, you know, and what, what is in this book? <laughs> can only be you know just just i mean the first i don't know if you ever if you've never heard the podcast i've recommended this podcast many times uh it's great stuff so do check that out but i mean you can just imagine what gets put into this book and if you ever read the first book his first book complete liberty uh this one's complete liberty inside it out i mean you're in for a real treat uh so do do check that out uh if you're looking for something something good to read uh or listen to it's all available there so i just want to mention that 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 is out there anytime there's a really great work being done in liberty circles because there is a lot of it out there Uh, i don't hear it getting talked about i don't hear it getting announced and so i'm happy to really uh bring it up you know any any chance that i get and so you know do do give this a look again the link is in the show notes for complete liberty inside and out um and maybe i I can have wes on the show here uh eventually because he's just (laughs) He's, he's one of those guys, you know, that, that I put, you know, way up there, but anyway, (laughs) um, all right. So let's get into our tech roulette story. And we've got a really interesting one, one that goes into some very, very real, really deep areas. It's not what you think. Uh, 
Okay. Because the story is about games. Okay. But I want you to listen to this. You know, I used to have a whole segment of the show that I talked about games in. Um, that that's no longer because it wasn't the most popular aspect of the show. And, uh, you know, it, it, taking it away gave me more time to talk about other, perhaps more important things or more interesting things or whichever. Um, but so if you weren't one of those people, if you're one of those people that always skipped the games section of the show, please don't skip this because this has some pretty wide ramifications, what we're about to talk about. Now, of course, it means something personal to me because obviously I am now a game developer. Uh, I'm already working on a second and third game. My first game is already out, Hypercronius, of course, which you just heard an ad for a minute ago. Uh, please do grab a copy of that if you haven't. You can buy it with Bitcoin. You can use the code SVT and get a dollar off. And that game, actually, in some ways, my entire game company of Zomia Offline Games is very much a response to the story we're about to read. Uh, because this has been a debate, this has been an issue that's been going on for a while. It's just really coming to head with a, a major company in the space. So I'll talk about more, you know, why this is important to things like Hypercronius and why this is important to way more than just games uh, in a second. But let's read the story here. And it's, uh, this, I'm actually reading from Polygon.com. Sega pulls more than a dozen games from the iTunes App Store and Google Play. Earlier this month, Sega warned customers that it was removing an unspecified number of mobile games from the iTunes App Store, Google Play, and other mobile marketplaces. The games in question, Sega said, no longer met its standards for quality, though the publisher never specifically said which games were being pulled. Now the games have been removed from those mobile marketplaces, or now that the games have been removed, uh, we know which titles are affected, and I'll go down the list here. Uh, the following Android titles are no longer available from Google Play, Afterburner Climax, Jet Set Radio, Super Monkey Ball 2. The following iOS titles are no longer available from iTunes, Afterburn, Afterburner Climax, Altered Beast, Echo the Dolphin, Golden Axe 1, 2, and 3, Streets of Rage 2, Fantasy Star 2, Sega Columns Deluxe, Space Harrier 2, Streets of Rage 3, Super Monkey Ball 1 and 2, and uh, Sakura Edition, Virtua Fighter 2, and Virtua Fighter 4 Final Showdown Guide. Sega said that some of those delisted titles may return, quote-unquote, in an updated form. This isn't the first time Sega has pulled some of its mobile titles from online stores. Games like The House of the Dead, Overkill, The Lost Reels, and Zaxxon Escape were removed from sale after they launched. Now, the first thing to mention about all of this is that these are not... So the reason that Sega removed these games from the Play Store and the iOS Store, or in the App Store is because it said it didn't meet, meet their standards of quality. Now, that's a very nebulous term, nebulous phrase, and I don't know what they mean by that because it certainly can't mean the quality of the games. And the reason being, Golden Axe, Fantasy Star, Streets of Rage, Echo the Dolphin, Virtua Fighter, Jet Set Radio, one of the greatest games of all time. I grab that game for every platform it ever comes out on because I'm hoping they'll do another sequel again. Uh, Super Monkey Ball, Afterburner, I mean, these are top-notch franchises, and most of these are ports, and they're pretty good ports, you know, just brought onto these mobile devices. There's no way that the standard is that the games suck. Well, all right, so let me caveat that, because Afterburner Climax, I'll admit, did not, that I couldn't, I owned it, I've, and I, I have to say that in the past tense, because you can't get it anymore. 
Um, but I owned it and that was really tough to play. Like I had no clue what was going on and the game's like three or four years old. It's not like it needs an LG G four to be able to play it. So, but otherwise, you know, these are major, major releases. These are big time games. They're great games. And so what are these standards of quality that they don't meet? I don't understand. Is it that the controls were kind of flunky now in general, controls on mobile games are terrible like i have the the sonic games you know for my phone and unless i'm connecting a controller to you know to, to my mobile phone uh the experience is atrocious okay now believe me we're going to talk about a lot more than games here in just a second and that you know but i like when you're doing some kind of button masher or anything that requires like really fine work on a directional pad i mean it's it's really really bad okay so maybe that's what they meant but the problem there is if that's what they're talking about that the experience isn't that good first off everything all that all that statement i just made is equally true for the sonic games and they didn't pull those um and the second point is is that how are you going to improve that? You can't. You can only do so much with a touchscreen. Maybe someone will have some incredibly inventive way of touchscreen controls, you know, for classic games like these are. You know, it's not, I mean, yeah, if they re reinvent a game that uses swipe controls like Fruit Ninja uh, or whatever else, okay, fine. That That's completely different. That Those controls make sense. Um, but to make newly adaptable controls for some of these games... I don't know how it can get any better. They were designed for a directional pad. How exactly do you improve upon that? Um, I mean, this is like when first person shooters went from the PC to console, they had to use uh, the dual stick, the dual analog stick. And that's still ask anybody if they're honest with you, they'll tell you that mouse and keyboard is still the best way to experience uh, most big games like first person shooters or real time strategy or whatever. The dual analog stick is just a, it's a cop out. You know, like, you know, it's a poor substitute. And so the same deal here. So I can understand if that's the case, you know, like that makes a degree of sense. Fine. I understand that. But you're never going to improve upon that. And if that was such a problem, why did you release the games in the first place? You know, just a money making grab. And of course, that's what a lot of people will say is that initially all of this is really just about being able perhaps to re-release because you can't improve upon the touch interface hardware necessarily to where you can make better controls, at least not that I'm aware of and not yet. Um, but what you can take advantage of is the higher graph, higher graphic processing power um, of a lot of these games. And, you know, so maybe that's what they plan on doing is taking advantage of the greater hardware power and selling like effectively HD versions of each of these games. Maybe that's the plan. But even then, like if, if you could do that, just release it as an HD version and leave the original one in there. It, it doesn't make any sense. People were still buying these games um, that, that 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 just that doesn't gel with me. But none, all of that aside, none of that is actually what I really want to talk about here. And none of that is really what I think that this touches on or comments on. Uh, and highlights. What's really going on here is an age old debate that started probably around 2003, 2004, somewhere around there when steam, which is the popular gaming platform. Okay. was first released. And then there was direct to drive that came out in 2004. And then later there's a Desura, which came out, which actually uh, I'll announce it here on June 24th. Hypercronius is going to be available on Desura. There's millions of people to use that platform. 
I'm going to be reaching out to millions of people with, uh, with hypercronius. Very exciting. Uh, you know, and I didn't have to get into politics to do it. Um, but anyway, don't want to get off topic. So when, when Steam and Direct to Drive first came out, a lot of people said, whoa, 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 whoa. Why? Why would I, how do I know that if I download it from that site that I get to keep the game? What if Steam takes a game down that I buy, like let's say Homeworld or something? If I if they take down a game that I buy and and then I never get access to it, why why wouldn't I want the physical DVD that has the game on it that I can use at all times and just install and I'm good to go? Because and that's the other thing too, back in 2003, you know, not every still, I mean 2003 is when the internet really in my opinion really really came into prominence. Um, you know, to where everybody was using it. But even then you still had a lot of people that didn't have persistent online connection, and I think a lot of people said you know, I have to be constantly online to get access to my game or to verify it's, it's DRM or whatever else. Um, I'm not going to do this. This is terrible. So that was the argument is that you did not have control of something that you put your hard earned money down on, you know, cause PC games cost 50, 60 bucks, just like console games do. And I'll admit I was in that camp. I was in the camp of, no, I'm not going to trust my stuff, you know, to some online service or whatever else. I want the physical copy. I want the DVD and I want to install it, you know, locally offline or whatever else. And it wasn't until 2011 when that changed for me, uh, because in 2011, what, what came out or was it 2010 when Duke Nukem forever came out, I bought the deluxe edition. And that's what the main reason I bought the physical copy of it was because it came with, you know, a comic book, uh, you know, a can holder, all this, you know, like poker chips and all this other wild stuff and a little, little maquettes, a little bust of, uh, of the Duke himself, uh, which is awesome. But anyway, I bought that. And when I went home that day, you know, I went to the release, the midnight release party for it and everything. When I went home and I went to install it, you know, I'm like, oh, this is going to be great because I'll install it from the DVD. It'll be done in like 20 minutes. No big deal. When I went to install it, it forced me to have a Steam account. It then proceeded to, you know, and, and like the key that actually came with the DVD even was for the Steam copy of the game. And then it started downloading it from Steam and it went overnight. I couldn't play it in 20 minutes. I had to wait eight hours, you know, because where I was living, the, the speeds weren't weren't the best. But I mean, it was downloading, you know, multiple gigs upon gigs of, of, of you know, data to to play the game. So. At that point, I said to myself, well, you know, what am I going to do? If, if buying physical copies of the game is still going to force me to use Steam, well, then fuck it. <laughs> you know, I'll just start using Steam. Now, there's advantages, of course, to these digital platforms. And that is, is that you don't have to, ha you know, you don't have to be carrying around with you because this was before I moved to New Hampshire. And it would have sucked if I had to move to New Hampshire and drag around because I have like 700 games in my Steam library. If I had to lug around 700 DVDs. No matter how small I made that fact, that would suck ass. Okay. <laughs> or even if I had to store them on hard drives, I would, you know, that would, I'd have to, you know, have like eight, you know, eight terabyte hard drives to, to handle all that. So I get the advantages and it can certainly appeal to those of the minimalist persuasion. I, I totally understand all of that. But the thing is, is that before I accepted using steam and really in many ways was forced 
to use Steam. If forced in the, yes, I can choose whether or not to buy the game. I know. Okay. But if I want to buy the game, my decision is my hand is then forced to where I have to use Steam. But before, you know, before I gave in, like I said, I, my, I was saying, no, I want control of my game, whatever else. I remember the conversations, the arguments, the, the, the columns in PC Gamer, all of that, where it was saying that, no, look, this isn't you. People are crazy. They're no, there's no way they're going to take games away from you after you buy it. They're going to let you play it. Don't you worry. You you are techno panic, uh, you know, uh, Luddites thinking that you want to keep you know, a, a local copy of your game or, you know, whatever. And this is an argument that's happening right now. This, this, this was happening years ago for PC gamers. This is an argument that's happening right now uh, for console uh, gamers. Because, you know, that this has recently become a reality for them. And that's, that's the real problem with this is that people were being called crazy nuts, Luddites for not accepting you know, for wanting to have, you know, local non-DRM required, you know, to, to, to play it, uh, on, you know, non-connectivity required uh, DRM to play the game. Uh, you know, the, these people were called crazy. I was called crazy. I was called nuts. Many other people will. But then look what happens here. Look at Sega. Now, Steam, I'll admit to you, if you buy a game from Steam and then the publisher forces Steam to take it down uh, you know, to not sell it anymore. Steam keeps it on their servers and you can still download and play it. This has happened uh, many times. And so at least Steam allows for that. But guess what? If you bought Afterburner Climax or if you bought, uh, you know, Jet Set Radio, a fucking great game, and you want to play it on your Android device and you didn't have it installed after, you know, before this past week, you can't play it anymore. It doesn't matter if you only, you know, if you hashed out five, six bucks for it, you're done. You can't play. You can't download it. It ain't happening. Yes. Yes. Some very, uh, you know, clever individuals will be able to sideload the APK file onto their, you know, onto their device. But if you just want to take advantage of the whole advantage, the whole advantage, one more time, the whole advantage that we were getting sold and that I think is, a, is an accurate advantage by and large that, you know, you can have this game stored in the cloud and you don't have to carry it with you everywhere you go and you can just download and install at any given time that you want and play on and it saves your stats and all that stuff. That's not true anymore. doesn't matter that you put your hard-earned cash down sorry you hit as ernie hancock always says you said i agree to the fact that they can just take this out from under you and the reason that this is far more important than in the gaming space is because this is true this is possible for the cloud-centric world we're in you know, tech world that we're in for your movies, your music, you know, you take your pick, all those things that you spend your money on, be it for a subscription to Netflix or whatever else, uh, you know, or you buy movies on iTunes or whatever. Look, the stuff can just get yanked out from under you and taken away. There's business models that answer this. There's uh, GOG.com, which gives you DRM-free versions, which means which means that you can keep a local copy however you want, wherever you want, and play it. And uh, no one can take it from you. Okay, there's business models that do this, but then there's a lot of business models that don't. 
do that because there's a big push. People are not, I mean, yes, a lot of people want DRM for, you know, digital rights management free stuff, but then there's a lot of people that no, 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 we need to keep DRM. Even Firefox, the most independent and open source wonders of the world is saying, oh yeah, DRM's fine. That's okay. It doesn't have to be this way. That's the bottom line is that it absolutely, you know, the way, the fact that games can just get ripped out from under you, your money can just get ripped out from under you. Your possessions can just get ripped out from under you. And yes, some people will say, well, the reason you only had to pay $6 for Jet Set Radio or $4 or $3 or whatever is because it's all done digitally. Yeah. Okay. All true. I get it. Okay. I'm, I'm actually largely, I'm not against this whole, you know, this whole notion of having like the ability to download things willy nilly from, you know, from cloud storage or whatever. I'm not necessarily against that, but we, I am very much against digital rights management. I am very much against gateways, gatekeepers. Okay. Like Google and, you know, and, and all this to where you really don't own the game. I mean, you know, picture this. It's it's funny, but it's so true that I could still play a game of Yar's Revenge on my twenty on my literal twenty six hundred. That came that game came out thirty three years ago, and I can still crank up a copy, and it's still less. Thirty three years ago, but if I want to play something that came out three years ago or two years ago, like Jet Set Radio on my Android device, I'm fucked. Where else? Where else is this going to take place? Where else is this going to be a problem? Where is this? Where is all this going to show up in the future? Because it's more than just about games. This is about Netflix. This is about uh, Kindle Unlimited. Okay. A lot of these subscription services, there's, you know, there's an argument to be made. Okay. That maybe it shows that people really don't want to possess that much as long as they just have access to, you know, some grand library or something. There's an argument to be made for that. Maybe. Okay. But that's not the general thing that I hear from most people. Most people want to possess. They want to own something. Well, if you want to own something, then you need to do something about DRM. You need to do something about Google Apple, who, you know, and even the publishers themselves having total say and control over what gets out there. And of course that comes from DRM. Amazon, Amazon's doing this. I mean, this, if anything shows the danger of Amazon. Okay. Because they did this before with, uh, in fact, of all ironies, one of the books they did this with was 1984 by George Orwell where you downloaded that, you know, you, you bought it or whatever with, you know, with your, through the Kindle store on your Kindle, and then Amazon ripped it away from your device. They just took it. It was just gone one day off of your device. And that's exactly what's happening here with what Sega is doing. This is a problem. And maybe people just don't care. But I just don't, again, I don't feel that they're, what they're saying doesn't match their actions. Of course, what else is new, right? Uh, but I think this is a real danger. Now, with Hypercronius, I made it a point. In fact, that's why it's called Zomia Offline Games, to prove to you, to, to make the statement, you will never, ever need to do any kind of like online DRM stuff unless it gets done through a distributor 
or, or whatever. But if certainly if you buy the game from Zog.Ninja and most other places, it's yours. You don't need a key. You do whatever the hell you want with it. And you can transport it and transfer it and put it all over the goddamn place. It doesn't matter. Make all the copies you want. I don't care. But not enough people are making that, that, that stance. They're not taking that stance. But that's why I felt it was so important. It was important for it to be portable. It was important for it to be, you know, for, for Hypercronius to be available every possible way that it could, you know, and out there. So, but again, this isn't just about games. This is something, you know, and in fact, it's funny because this has always been the underlying fear with Microsoft is that they admit to you that the light, that you are not, you do not own Windows. You have a license to access it. That's all you've got. And that license can be revoked at any time. Doesn't matter how much money you laid down. Well, this is the reality of that happening. Not with Windows, of course but of it happening with, and that's the thing is I think a lot of people felt that, well, the market just won't allow for this to occur. Now I disagree because these games, these are hot properties here. Very hot properties. I mean, I owned most of these. These companies don't give a fucking shit about, you know, about a lot of these like market forces. Now, I mean, will they eventually pay for that in the future? Yeah, maybe. But as for right now, I mean, again, there's business models that try to solve this. There's GOG.com. There's a Humble Bundle, which actually allows you to download like the APKs directly uh, that you can purchase them and everything there is effectively DRM free. Uh, you know, but we've you really that that's the answer with a lot of this digital stuff. If you actually want to have control and own what you have, if you can go open source, but if not, at least get DRM free. So you have complete control over what you're getting. Okay, but this 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 goes much bigger than video games. This is a huge topic. And the other the last point I want to bring up with all of this is we need to too many people, especially today when things are changing so fast, too many people want to roll out that term techno panic. Like, oh, that's just techno panic. No, it's not. When I said in 2005, I want a physical copy of the game because I'm concerned that the gatekeeper that I go through, be it, you know, Steam or whoever, whoever it was at the direct, direct to drive, you take your pick, whatever company it was at the time. When I say they might rip that game out from under me and then the guy across the desk says to me, no, Brian, that's not going to happen. Just happened. Just happened this week. We need to we need to not rush so quickly to that term techno panic because sometimes this shit really does occur. Those fears really do come to reality. You know, and I know a lot of people I've heard. Oh, God, I've heard this at, at Bitcoin events and at other places, you know, where, where people are like, oh, well, you know, this is the same stuff. People used to have techno panic about electricity. Because they said, oh, my God, the houses are going to go on fire, you know, because you're putting in this electricity. Don't do it. Don't do the electricity. No, 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 no. People used to do actual journalism back then. Guess what? Houses were going on fire. They were burning up. That wasn't crazy of them to say that. 
Yes, electricity got more efficient and better. They started wrapping the cords and cloth and all this, you know, you know, in a really fine fiber and all this different stuff. And they solved the problem. Okay, yes, but you can't just go tossing out the, the phrase techno panic on everybody anytime they're concerned about losing control or about, you know, something new coming their way. Because they might have a valid point. I feel justification. And in fact, later on in this episode, I'm going to talk about some more justification that I feel, some more validation of things that I've talked about that have to actually do with the Play Store of all things. So don't rush. Don't run to the idea that, oh, you're just being a fear monger. Oh, it's techno panic. Oh, it's this. No, 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 no. Because often enough, given time, some of those fears really do come true. And there needs to be some kind of an answer for it. Fortunately, in this case, in the case of digital goods, digital distribution, there is an answer. And that's DRM-free and the ability to locally store, um, you know, and make backups and things like that. Resiliency, redundancy, okay, and open standard, you know, open source. All of that is an answer to this, and it exists, and it's out there. I just recommend, you know, maybe starting to use those a lot more. Send the real market signals that you don't accept publishers just ripping games away from you and taking away your hard-earned money. I'll be back with more of this Sovereign Tech. Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. When guys think about bras, something from Victoria's Secret often comes to mind. But as someone who speaks to college athletes, I think about how many promising young women stop competing as early as high school because they have larger-sized breasts and strenuous exercise is just too painful. When a woman is running or engaging in high-impact activities, her breasts will often move in three directions and make a figure eight. Most bras that claim to be for sports do little or nothing to reduce breast movement. A true sports bra is very different from what we've come to associate with skimpy lingerie. The cups require major engineering to hold a woman's breasts in place and forget thin straps which will just dig into her shoulders. The straps need to be wide and made of a non-stretch material to help reduce the bounce and shoulder fatigue. There needs to be a wide elastic band around the ribs and the bra has to be made of a moisture wicking material that holds its firmness washing after washing. And while a normal bra might have one or two hooks, a good sports bra may have a dozen There's no guy on the planet who can get into one of these. On our website, I've posted links to Enel, which is a leader in the sports bra field, as well as articles and a cool website that simulates what happens to women's breasts during exercise. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. Oh, ah, that was... I'm speechless. Oh, if I'm leaving a reporter speechless, I must be doing things right. Natalia? What's going on? Agent Sovereign. Read this. Then meet me at the Central HQ. I have to go. What was that? And why would someone give you something on paper these days? Because it's something that is too important to risk sending digitally. As for what the message says, it looks like I've been doing things wrong. Important Messages. Oop, there we go. It is time for important messages where I cover the uh, messages, emails, bit messages, tweets, whatever that gets sent to me through the various channels available. 
And uh, this week I've got one I promised I would talk about, and I'll get to that. Um, I've, I've got a few things to to really get through uh, this week in important messages. Um, the first one I want to get to was an incredibly uh, gracious and something I, I don't feel I deserve um, a birthday bit message. My birthday was on uh, May 12th. So didn't didn't go with a whole lot of fanfare on it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, someone knew this. A listener knew this. And um, and I just I'd like to read uh, the the message that they they sent to me. Uh, and just I want them to know that I really appreciate it. And um, very humbling. Um, and uh, here it goes. So I'll be extremely busy tomorrow and don't want to forget to congratulate you. Uh, so here goes. Happy birthday. My birthday present for you is remembering it is your birthday. You mentioned it in passing uh, one on an episode once, which is how I know. I promise I'm not a stalker. (laughs) You are an important figure in many people's lives. You have made and will continue to make a difference in many of us, uh, to many of us, sovereignty. And the proof that this is so is that people are crazy enough to remember all the tiny things you may that you say. I can't even think how many podcasts I've listened to that uh, that now I don't even remember listening to. Not so with you. I know you do the show for yourself and for nobody else, and you do it for free and for lo- the loving of doing it. If I could give you all the money in the world, I would, but I can't. What I can do uh, is tell you and show you how thankful I am for your efforts. Keep innovating. Keep going or keep doing, keep being the change you want to see in the world. You are the stuff legends are made of. So I, I really appreciate that. Thank you uh, so much. And uh, yeah, I, I don't, <laughs> no demands of anything from anybody, certainly. And uh, yes, I, I do. I do my podcast for me because I don't hear if someone else, if some, you know, I want to just clarify that point because if someone else was saying, if my opinion was being represented by somebody else, I wouldn't do this. That's the whole reason I do it is that it's not for a whole bunch of crazy reasons. Uh, you, you know, that I think other people, a lot of people do it for fame. They do it for, uh, I don't know. They do it to get their dick sucked or, you know, whatever reasons they do it. Um, my whole reason is, is that I do not feel represented. So I, and and really only I can represent myself. And so I want my opinions out there because I don't hear them anywhere else. Uh, And so that's, that's why I do it. That's what I, what I say when I mean, I do this for me. Um, But I really appreciate that message is very, very kind. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for that. And uh, actually a lot of people sent their birthday wishes and I appreciate um, all of them. So I just wanted to make that very public and out there uh, because I don't always have the opportunity to like really respond you know, to, to, to everyone personally, as much as I may want to. So anyway, let's get on to another email. Uh, let's switch this up. And this is one I promised that I would talk about. And, uh, this is actually coming from, um, uh, well, this is coming from somebody that's emailed a few times into the show. Uh, I believe he's in Ecuador and, uh, it's a little bit of a, a long one. So let me, let me read it here because it's in response to something I had talked about in the past. Your podcast continues to be one of my favorites. I appreciate you bringing me unique science and technology stories delivered with thought provoking insights in a boisterously entertaining style. That's a, that's a very salient breaking. That's a very kind way of putting it. Thank you. Uh, every episode and most of the specials give me ideas and perspectives to, to digest. Thank you. 
So over the past couple of months, you spent more sometimes uh, discussing the idea of expatriation and said some things that triggered defensive emotions within me. I know some people hate the concept of triggers because it has been used by people and institutions to prevent the free flow of speech and ideas. I want to be clear that I'm all for getting triggered. It's an opportunity to reflect on some issues that I need to work on. Not even computers can process anything without some buttons getting pushed, right? Uh, that is a solid point, emailer. Thank you. Uh, you're absolutely right. I hope you don't mind if I process some things with you. My intention to move to Latin America was never to find a subservient woman. Uh, none of my lovers have ever been Latinas. I did not come here to take advantage of an unfair global economy. I make do with less uh, than even the average Ecuadorian or Ecuadorian. Yeah, so he's in Ecuador. Um, and I just I want to I want to comment on that quick on this part. So I a, a few episodes ago, I had made the comment that I think a lot of people that that are in this. I mean, maybe I made a very broad statement of all people that expatriate. Uh, and I was talking to the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy about it on the show. And I said that it's like, I think they just, they can't get laid in America. And so they go overseas or, you know, they just, they want to go and like take advantage of, you know, cause they know they'll get treated well, but everyone else will get treated like shit, but they get treated well cause they're a tourist or something like that. Um, so that, that was my comments. Um, and I'll, I'll read on, I'll read on here more of the, of the email and then we'll go into that more. Um, I respect that you and Stephanie are winter files, but I must admit that I am on the cold hating boat. I get claustrophobic inside four walls. I'm addicted to being outside, breathing fresh air, working with plants and the earth. I don't actually like the heat of the tropics. I live just south of the equator at around 7,000 feet. Imagine a perpetual temperature range between the low 60s and high 70s with rain and wind uh, patterns making up a few distinct seasons. I can build houses without insulation, missing entire walls and not needing to spend any energy on heating i love it and stallion breaking and yeah oh i i totally get that you know i've actually i had built um add-ons uh rooms not not whole houses uh in florida when i lived in florida and yeah i mean or even like adding in like plumbing you don't have to dig six feet you can you know just dig a couple inches and you can lay down pvc pipe i mean there's a lot of advantages i i definitely uh you know agree and, and totally understand um, all of that. But reading on with the email, though climate is a plus, the main reasons that push me towards establishing life in Ecuador were mainly about wanting to live a good and free life and possibly having have the best chance of leading by example. North America and Europe is so regulated that I would be inhibited from building the kind of house I want to live in and live the way I do. I don't want to be anywhere where somebody backed by violent threat tells me literally what I can and can't do with my own shit. I don't want to live anywhere where people take my money to do awful things like wage wars and subsidize destructive industries. I am happy to give to the world around me, but I want to decide what I give and who or what positive projects I give to. All governments are bad, but some are worse than others, and I want to live somewhere where the society is stable, but the government is weak. At the time, Ecuador was ideal, easy to get residency and buy land, no building permits or regulations, no income tax, very little policing, yet without a significant rate of uh, uh, violence. The people were used to taking care of themselves, taking responsibility for their own actions and relying on their families and communities for supporting for support during hard times to build the public works and help resolve their conflicts. They were poor, but seemed much happier than those in wealthier societies. In wealthier societies, I faced a lot of ostracism for wanting to live a humble life. While most people were uh, there considered me nothing but a dirty hippie, practicing voluntary simplicity was actually a key into the heart of the local community. Uh, 
we, we could relate even through the cultural barrier. My ideas were a benefit to my neighbors rather than just a symbol of defiance. I still believe I made the best choice when I bought a little piece of mountainside in the Andes. I have enjoyed a level of freedom and such a feeling of good purpose that I don't think could have been accomplished. So on many other parallel universes during the past decade, these things change or things change. However, Ecuador has developed quite a bit during my time here. And I've watched the lights in town spread like a fire road and houses creeping into the mountains. I am once again, becoming the crazy gringo who defies the power lines, televisions and gas guzzlers. The current president is a populist socialist who has been behind, who has been behind all kinds of stupid big brother laws, inhibiting the free press and regulating small businesses to death. I thought I was kind of safe from this reach until last summer when a few government lackeys showed up with a GPS and laptop. They had satellite photographs of all the buildings on the property and had the right to wander the land and mark everything into their laptop. They say that from now on, I'm supposed to get permits for doing anything else significant on the land. Of course, we're just camouflaging everything from now on. I have no interest in cooperating with the government, but now I see that it isn't going to be, it isn't going to be as easy to be free in the near future. Did you know that the current Ecuadorian administration has prohibited cryptocurrencies? They're actually in the process of going off the dollar and creating their own national bit currency. That's scary. I'm a cash man myself. I still think the safest way to practice system D is by personal interactions and transactions. Generally, the more links a chain has, the better the odds that one of them will break or will be weak. And if one of the links is a governmentally controlled electronics currency, the chain is fucked. And uh, Stallion, I just want to cut in. Uh, yeah, I, I sympathize with all of that. Um, I, I agree that I, I like the idea of very personal, you know, interactions and, and, and all of that. Um, that's one of the reasons I push. And I know this gentleman's living in a, an intentional community. Uh, it's one of the reasons I always push an intentional community and that intentional communities are quintessential parts of System D. And now intentional communities, in my definition, you know, can be very broad. And in most people's definitions are pretty broad in what they could be. You know, it could be two houses next to be to each other. It could be, you know, 10 people living in one giant house, whatever the case may be. I mean, there's a lot of different shapes and sizes that that can take. It doesn't have to be a free state project. It doesn't have to be, uh, what is that, New Earth Nation or whatever the hell that thing's called. Uh, it doesn't have to be any, you know, anything like that. Um, but yeah, you, you know, the more links in the chain, the, the better chances of a weak link. That is a key thing. I I talk about on sovereign tech, uh, you know, email or you're, you're right on, um, reading on this may sound ridiculous, but I made a 15 year commitment to my mountain and I plan on keeping it. I also want to make sure that the intentional community, which has settled on the farm with, uh, on the farm will have all the resources to thrive by the time I go. So you and Stephanie have a five year window to visit me. If you choose to do so, I truly think you may actually enjoy the lifestyle at least for a short while. Okay, I think I got everything that I need processed and my defensive emotions have lifted. Thank you for being present through it. Looking forward to hearing more of your awesome rants and interesting thoughts. All the best. So thank you so much, really, for, for that email. Uh, that, that means a lot to me. You know, the longer, longer emails, I can't always get to them on the show, but they, they mean so much. Uh, because I know how much time the person put into in that they wanted to connect with me. Uh, that really means a lot. So, and I, I totally understand. And, you know, I want to apologize to anyone I spoke, I think I, when I was talking about, you know, expatriation that I spoke in some very broad terms. Um, and obviously it's not true or, you know, it might not have seemed obvious coming from me, but it's very true that not everybody is doing it because they want to, you know, go, 
you know, go find a woman somewhere else because they can't get one in America or something like that. You know, and obviously this emailer, you know, that certainly isn't the case for, for him. Um, you know, but I still, I think by and large, like a lot of the, the real, well, not by and large, I think there's still, but either way, there's a lot of people that that's still what that is all about, um, for them. And you can kind of hear it in their marketing, uh, material as to where, you know, anytime I've had a conversation with, you know, with this gentleman from Ecuador, I mean, like it, it's, you know, it's very, very humble marketing as to where, you know, some of these other guys, it's like, oh yeah, come on down here, you know, get on the beach and grab a beer and, and get your dick sucked and all this stuff. And it's just like, come on, man. No, right, right, right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's never any insulting from this, you know, from this email or from a lot of, you know, there's, there's plenty of people that expatriate that never insult that, you know, in, in that way. It's just, they just wanted to go, like he said, he wanted to go get his freedom. Uh, man, I am, I am so on board with that. So I appreciate the email coming in so I can clarify my position on that. Um, I just, I feel like there's a lot of people that are doing a whole bunch of bullshit marketing about expatriation. And at the bottom of it, you can really see what it's all about for them. And it's all about the fact that, you know, it's, it's not about actually getting necessarily some freedom. It's not about this or that. It's about just like getting these, these various, sometimes often culturally reinforced or lifestyle obsession needs or wants, they're not needs, but like wants, you know, met and, and, and achieved. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's the thing. I mean, expatriation can be a fine and dandy thing. You know, I, I, that I have no, you know, no problem with it, you know, in principle, it's just some of the people, and clearly, thankfully, not all, of course, uh, some of the people I, you know, I, I think that they're, 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 they're peddling bullshit. Uh, I really do. And I totally, you know, something I really respect from this emailer is like the idea of, yeah, I get it. You know, you go to Ecuador, you're not funding any, you're not really funding any wars anymore. You know, like, like, I mean, when you pay taxes into the American system, you, it's true. You're very much funding a war. You know, and it, it, it's, it's something that's, that, that has to be thought about. And some people, you know, some people that, that their threshold doesn't allow for that. And that I totally 100% um, respect that. Now I think there, what's that? Yeah, that's terrible. What happened with the government too. Yeah. Lot, lots of empathy for me on that. Uh, and you know, that, that, that shows another ugly side of technology where Ecuador is now going to be making its own cryptocurrency, its own Bitcurrency, uh, and now they're using GPS and satellite to track everything you're doing on your land, uh, you know, even in the, the, the quote-unquote far reaches, the mountains of, of, of Ecuador. Uh, that's terrible to hear, you know, that that's, that that's happening, and it, and it really highlights um, what technology can do and maybe in many times where it's get what it's getting funded for uh, from governments around the world. Uh, it's, it's a, yeah. That, so I, I'm really, I'm really sad, uh, you know, to hear that. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you so much um, for that email. I really, you know, I really appreciate it. And, uh, and I hope I've made my thoughts on the expatriation thing clear. I, you know, it shouldn't be a blanket statement for me. I should never really make that many blanket statements other than, Yeah. No government is good. <laughs> right. So anyway, I'll be back. With Are more. you sick of government lackeys who say you didn't build that? Are you tired of elitists like Barack Obama and Al Gore taking credit for the web while trying to take over the web? Are you disgusted by experts whose concept of the Internet is that it's a series of tubes? Take back the free market of computing by encouraging software developers to adopt the BIPCOT no-gov license. The BIPCOT no-gov license allows any use or modification except by governments. 
Go to bipcot.org. That's Bravo, India, Papa, Charlie, Oscar, Tango.org. Jane, Natalia, come on! They're right behind us. They can't just jump off this building. No, but with a little help I called on. Hello, Agent Sofran. The jetpacks you requested? Right on time, Elizabeth. I am not flying with one of those. I'll hold you, Jane. Relax. Tech is just a tool. Tech is just a tool. It is all about who wields it, right? Is that the riddle of steel from Conan? <laughs> it's like, you know, flesh is stronger than, than steel because what is steel compared to the hand that wields it? I think that's, uh, I think that's how that, that goes. But anyway, uh, for tool of the week, I was actually going to tell you about, I believe it's called Astoria, which is a new implementation, a new client side implementation of Tor that closes down a lot of these real, um, anonymity gaps that exist within Tor. Uh, but instead, um, you know, I'll, I'll leave a link in the appendix of the show notes where you can read up about that and check that out because, uh, Tor is still useful. Again, you want to be really cautious when using it. It is not, uh, you know, the quote, the proverbial silver bullet. All right. Uh, but you know, this is a story. It looks like it was definitely going to make it better. Um, what I want to bring up to you is the open Bitcoin privacy project. And the link is in the show notes to check this out. And, I really appreciate this because sometimes I think on sovereign tech that my standards are set like really high for what I want out of technology and that, you know, maybe, maybe I'm letting, uh, you know, uh, perfection get in the way of the good, you know, you know, sometimes I think that that's going on and that, that maybe people are like, Oh my God, his standards are so ridiculous. No one's ever going to meet those. Why the hell am I listening to this? Blah, 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 blah. You know, as, as far as for various tech, um, but I am now comforted because at the, uh, open Bitcoin privacy project made together, you know, put together by some great guys, uh, their standards are really high. <laughs> and what this is, is they're testing every Bitcoin wallet. At least this is what they're doing at first. Uh, they did a spring 2015, uh, uh, assessment audit of every wallet. And they had various criteria for, you know, like anonymity. I mean, this is like, they, they were pretty much running off of dApps in a very real sense, which is decentralization, anonymity, privacy, and security. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's dApps. And so their score is, you know, one to a hundred and they have a, a top 10 that you can look at. Um, I'll break into some of it for you here. Uh, the, the one number one, and this is with a score of 54, out of a hundred. <laughs> I love it because I mean, like I said, I always feel like, Oh, people th must think I'm insane, you know, because like I'm expecting this software to do this. And if it doesn't do this, well, damn it, it's not good enough. And here it is. Here's a listing of wallets made by some very bright guys that lay it out and say, no, you know what? These aren't good enough. And nobody in fact met their criteria, which I think is, uh, you know, that, that, it's not awesome for the wallets, for the Bitcoin wallets or the Bitcoin space, but it's awesome. Uh, you know, it's a credit to the, the auditors, you know, that did this with the, the OBPP, you know, that, that they are taking this very serious and they have high standards for software. So number one was dark wallet, uh, which is only available on Google Chrome 
which maybe that's why it got a 54. Well, you, you can read up onto why that is. Uh, Dark Wallet, you know, they, they talked about it for using the mixing service like CoinJoin and all that. That was very important. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, if you're using a Chromium based uh, uh, web browser, feel free to try out Dark Wallet. Now, ironically, now that Chrome, Google Chrome itself, the official version of Chrome, okay, not Chromium, the open source, but Google Chrome, uh, you know, they're not allowing apps that are not in the Chrome web store to be installed. So I think dark wallet might not even be a possibility if you're using Google Chrome anymore. Uh, you know, unless you're using a Linux box, which maybe that's a default for people <laughs> that would use dark wallet. Uh, number two is armory, which is a, a really that dollar limit. That's a, it's a, a, you know, for what it is, obviously a great wallet, but that also that tied dark wallet with a 54. Um, and then there was mycelium, which I've recommended, which got a, a 50, and uh, like Electrum's number five, uh, there's, you know, a lot. Coinbase was number 10. So <laughs> so there, there's a lot, you know, a lot to glean here, a lot of information to take in. And I really thought I thought that these standards and I'm not talking about like like standards as far as necessarily software, but just standards in general of like philosophical standards of what these things, of what these wallets need to be able to provide, uh, I thought was really fantastic. And, uh, and I really, you know, really appreciate them uh, doing this work because I mean, this is a very serious audit and they also in their, you know, when you read the report, they also recommend how each one could improve what they could do right now to make it better. Um, but nobody, I mean, people just barely broke the fifties out of a hundred, you know, there's only three wallets that actually, you know, uh, got to that, that 50 mark, you know, mycelium armory and, uh, and dark wallet. That's how serious this is. Uh, so I hope this gets looked at. They're looking for feedback too, uh, on a lot of what gets said here. So the link is in the show notes. And if you want to send them feedback, I know they're very open to it. They're great guys. So, you know, do, do send them that feedback. Um, I'll be back with more. Boy, dark wallet, 54 out of hundred. Hey, this is Michael Dean from the Freedom Fiends Radio Show. I've been working with computer programmer Derek Slopey to create Fiend Phone. I'm using Fiend Phone right now to talk with and record one of my co-hosts in real time. Take it, Davi. Hey, this is Davi Barker, and I'm a thousand miles away from Michael, but we sound like we're in the same room. We sure do, Davi. So, Davi, please tell the nice people more about Fiend Phone. Fiend Phone is free, open-source software that opens up a global world of possibilities for collaborative, high-quality remote voice media production, and I'm digging it. People can try the Windows beta version of FiendPhone right now at FiendPhone.com. But we're also raising money to vastly improve FiendPhone and vastly improve independent talk media worldwide. So go to FiendPhone.com to help out. Who will build the audio roads? We will, with your help. That's FiendPhone.com. F-E-E-N-P-H-O-N-E.com. Foxtrot, Echo, Echo, November, Phone.com. FiendPhone. I never knew remote audio could be this good. This is James Smith, formerly of WASP News, now an anarchist. And I want to introduce you to Brian Sovereign, former agent of... I have little time. You need to know what's going on. The government is lying to you. Corporations are lying to you. Even is lying to you. They're trying to centralize everything. Trust yourselves. Your computer is your only country. Coexist and learn all that you can. 
hack the planet. Hack Hack the planet! Hack the planet! <laughs> uh, for those that don't know, that's actually a line from the movie Hackers, which does a terrible job of showing what actual hacking quote-unquote looks like uh but definitely gives a lot of cool culture to the <laughs> to the whole notion uh so it's loved by people that know the movie in, in and of itself is ridiculous uh but something that's uh well it is ridiculous what this is but uh you know not perhaps surprising but in any stretch and very very real is uh, the intercept which is, of course is glenn greenwald's kind of uh, news baby uh, these days where he releases things from the uh, the snowden revelations Still, years later, <laughs> um, there was something interesting that got released uh, this week. And really, it, uh, you know, I, I talked about it very briefly, you know, on, on social media. Uh, I didn't do a write up about it on darkandroid.info. Uh, I will. There are times where, with darkandroid.info, because this is related to, to Android. Um, there are times where I will do blog posts based upon something I've talked about on Sovereign Tech, but my my main venue, it seems, to where people, you know, care to listen to what I have to say does seem to be Sovereign Tech. So if it's a really good story, I like to save it for, you know, for the podcast, though. But just again, don't be shocked if in the future it's in a more disseminable form, that being as a blog post. So, yeah, I feel pretty vindicated with this because uh, let, let's read it here. Here's the, the headline from uh, Ryan Gallagher. NSA planned to hijack Google App Store to hack smartphones. We'll read the story, then we'll get into uh, into some of this. The National Security Agency and its closest allies plan to hijack data links to Google and Samsung app stores to infect smartphones with spyware, a top-secret document reveals. The surveillance project was launched by a joint electronic eavesdrop eavesdropping unit called the Network Tradecraft Advancement Team, which includes spies from each of the countries in the Five Eyes Alliance. That's the United States, Canada, the UK, New Zealand, and Australia. The top secret document obtained from the NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden was published Wednesday by CBC News in collaboration with The Intercept. The document outlines a series of tactics that the NSA and its counterparts in the Five Eyes were working on during workshops held in Australia and Canada between November 2011 in February 2012, the main purpose of the, of the workshops was to find new ways to exploit smartphone technology for surveillance. The agency used the Internet spying system X key score to identify smartphone traffic uh, flowing across Internet cables and then to track down smartphone connections to app marketplace servers operated by Samsung and Google. Google declined to comment for the story. Samsung said that it would be co- not be commenting, quote unquote, at this time. As part of a pilot project codenamed Irritant Horn, that's a damned weird name, uh, (laughs) the agencies were developing a method to hack and hijack phone users' connections to app stores so that they would be able to send malicious implants to targeted devices. The implants could then be used to collect data from the phones without their users noticing. Previous disclosures from the Snowden files have uh, have shown agencies in the Five Eyes Alliance designed spyware for iPhones and Android smartphones, enabling them to infect targeted phones and grab emails, texts, web history, call records, videos, photos, and other files stored on them. But methods used by the agencies to get the spyware onto, onto phones in the first place have remained unclear. 
The newly published document shows how the agencies wanted to exploit uh, App Store servers, using them to launch so-called man-in-the-middle attacks to infect phones with the implants. A man-in-the-middle attack is a technique in which hackers place themselves between computers as they are communicating with each other. It is a tactic sometimes used by criminal hackers to defraud people. In this instance, the method would have allowed the surveillance agencies to modify the content of data packets passing between targeted smartphones and the app servers while an app was being downloaded or updated, inserting spyware that would be covertly sent to the phones. But the agencies wanted to do more than just use app stores as launch as a launching pad to infect phones with spyware. They were also keen to find ways to hijack them as a way of sending, quote, selective misinformation to the target's handsets, end quote, as part of so-called, quote unquote, effects operations that are used to spread propaganda or confuse adversaries. Moreover, the agencies wanted to gain access to companies' app store servers so they could secretly use them for harvesting information about phone users. The project was motivated in part by concerns about the possibility of, quote unquote, another Arab Spring, which was sparked in Tunisia in December 2010 and later spread to countries across the Middle East and North Africa. Western governments and intelligence agencies were largely blindsided by those events, and the document detailing Irritant Horn suggests the spies wanted to be prepared to launch surveillance operations in the event of more unrest. So I want to I want to take a break right there and just start talking about this. Um, it's a really long story. The link is in the show notes. Please do check it out. So what I have been saying for a long, long time, pretty much ever since the first Dark Android special was get away from the app stores, the main app stores and start running towards using open source app stores. F-Droid is the premier one. Now, as far as the man in the middle attacks, maybe to some degree that couldn't have been stopped if they wanted to inject it through the F-Droid store. Okay, if they want to do some kind of, you know, yeah, like I said, man in the middle with F-Droid. Um, but what you have with F-Droid is you have, uh, you know, it's very open source. You have a complete understanding of the permissions being asked for by the, you know, by the app. And that's that's might be largely why they felt a need, why the NSA and whoever else, the five eyes, uh, felt the need to inject through the app stores because that way it circumvents any of your because once you hit accept on, you know, on an app's permissions where it says, OK, this uses the microphone, this uses this, uh, you know, this uses your contacts and whatever else. Once you hit accept, generally good, quote unquote, good uh, antivirus software or security software on your device is going to say, okay, this, this, this app's green lighted, it's whitelisted, whatever it does is fine. Generally, that's how that works. And so if you could inject some kind of, you know, spyware at that point of you choosing to accept the file, uh, you know, or at the point where you're installing that, then that's a real golden opportunity to get past any kind of security software that you have on your device. Okay. And also because none of the apps are open source, if you are the kind that can really read good code and see what's going on, uh, because of that, you, you know, and then there's like no real Shaw once, you know, like, like, a uh, an MD five system to where you can verify what you downloaded is the right thing. And even if there were, you know, the NSA can, can crack, you know, a lot of MD five stuff, but anyway, um, you know, because it's not, because it's largely not open source, you can't really tell what's going on underneath 
You know, you, you can't see that. So this really highlights a lot of what I was saying is where, look, get away from Google's, you know, th their app store, get away from, from iPhones, obviously, uh, you know, get, or, you know, get away from maybe the app store, try and get some control, uh, because this is what happens when you have closed source material. This is what happens when you have, uh, you know, gatekeepers. And we don't know what happened, if this necessarily was ever laid out or if, uh, if, it, if it took another shape or what Google won't say what's going on. Maybe they're being forced not to say what's going on, but they're not going to say anything. Samsung's uh, not an American company, and they said they're not going to comment at this time because Samsung has its own app store as well. Um, so this could really happen in any app store. But F-Droid has some things going for it to where, you know, people more inclined to look at code could really find out what's going on here. Now, uh, they were saying that some people would be targeted, uh, you know, with this with this matter. Well, that's another area where if you don't have, if your device, okay, if you're doing a dark Android device, which does not attach your name largely, okay, at least certainly not where you have to have a Google account and that affects every aspect of the device, including the Play Store. Okay, F-Droid doesn't need you to have any kind of account. So if you're being targeted, they don't know what to target. Okay, the Five Eyes, NSA, whatever, they have no idea what to target if your device is set up in a dark Android fashion where it's designed for a degree of anonymity. Okay, yes, you're, you're still going to be putting account information into browsers or whatever, but you can run some of those browsers uh, through Tor to a degree. And maybe like we mentioned earlier with Astoria, that can make things a little bit better with Tor. There's ways that all of this could have been, in, you know, could have, or there's ways that a lot of this could have been avoided. That everything they're talking about wouldn't have worked. If people got away from Google, got away from, you know, from, from Apple, I mean, I know there's ways to jailbreak an iPhone. You can put in other stores and all that stuff. So, you know, maybe that's a bit of a different story, but, um, but that's, that's my point. I felt a whole lot of indication in saying to people, look, get away from the stuff, use other things because this is the kind of shit that can happen. And it either, you know, was maybe it didn't happen, but it was certainly being planned or maybe it does happen. And it's just, it, you know, it, it took another form than, uh, the uh, irritant horn, uh, as they call it. So it really, really highlights, in my opinion, uh, you know, and, and, and actually uh, some listeners shared this story with me. Um, and I think it really highlights just what, you know, just the importance of dark Android and of getting away from a lot of these big companies that have become gatekeepers for everything that you want to do, you know, to decentralize your accounts a bit. Uh, and, and this is a worry, you know, I worry something like with windows 10, one of the things I love about older versions of Windows is it doesn't care who you are. You know, you could make up any name you want and have that, you know, have that be your login as to where I think with Windows 10, they want you. And I actually I think Windows 8 did this first. You have to have a Microsoft account and, you know, that that attaches to everything you do in the operating system as to where before, you know, computers are far more open and they didn't require a name or an identity to log into a computer, not, not, not a real identity of any kind. And it certainly wasn't an identity that could be tracked and traced and applied to every app and piece of software that you, and everything you do on the computer. Uh, this is a real problem and we got to get away from that. We got to, we got to kind of run away from that. I'm sure somehow that'll get figured out. I mean, and you can put in bullshit information, of course, you know, with something like windows 10 and maybe even with Android, you know, you could do that sort of thing, but I think there might be greater steps that, that need to be taken if you are concerned about your privacy and your anonymity and even your security 
from the real dangers on planet on planet Earth, that being governments. I'll be back with more. Babylon 5 ended a great war and united a hundred alien races in peace. Danger didn't die. It just went underground with new heroes and new evils to carry the torch. We need to make sure they all understand we will not be intimidated. What is wrong with you people? We have to set him against himself. It's an entire new season of Babylon 5 with all new episodes. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Agent Sovereign, Skylab C is in a polar orbit of the Earth. Computer, it's not Agent anymore. We don't work for them. Natalia, Elizabeth, Jane, and I, and anyone else that wants to join us, we're rogue now. We have to put an end to domination. Sovereign, come join us. Yeah, join us. Don't be a wanker. <laughs> well, there's no reason not to have fun in the process. I'm coming, ladies. Oh, yeah, yeah, anarchy, anarchy. The climax. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of people are thinking, boy, how is the Golden Stallion going to top those those bumpers, those intros? Don't worry. <laughs> I have a plan. Uh, maybe I can get some uh, uh, some some other people to do a little little voice work uh, for, for some of these in the future, too. Uh, I think I've got that uh, that plan. But anyway, uh, it's time for the climax where I talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. It could be a movie, it could be a topic, it could be a TV show, it could be a book, a comic book, uh, you take your pick. It could really be, uh, be anything. And, or I take my pick. That's the point. It's where I get to talk about it. And it doesn't have to do with science and technology either. That's the, it's the important thing is I wanted an area I need, you know, as I said many times, I know I've got a lot of new listeners, so I wanted to, you know, make sure people know I want, this is the part of the show where I can just talk about whatever I want. And I wanted there to be an area where I could talk about whatever the listeners maybe want me to talk about or ask me a question about. And that can be, you know, that's, that's what, uh, important messages is for. Um, and so anyway, uh, just want to reiterate that yes, there will be uh, a live recording of sovereign tech June 27th at pork fests coming up fast. Uh, and that'll be from four to 6 PM, uh, on that Saturday in the media room. So do, do catch that. Uh, but let, let, let's break into, let's break into this, the, the topic, uh, this week. And I was originally going to talk about, uh, X machine or X Mahina. Okay. Which is a movie, a very, uh, it's, it's kind of a sleeper hit as they call it that has to do with artificial intelligence. Um, I will probably next week, I will talk about that. Uh, I, I did have it slated for this week. Um, but time, time constraints didn't allow for it. So, uh, what I want to talk about this week is magazines. I know you weren't necessarily expecting that unless you read the show notes before, <laughs> before you started listening to the show. And it's kind of a funny thing because I've, it's definitely, definitely a strange realization I've had because I'm pretty sure. And I've, I'm sure I, if I didn't say it on sovereign tech, I know I've said it in life at various points that I'm kind of glad that magazines have gone seemingly gone the way of the dodo that magazines have gone away. Um, and you know, just that magazines were dumb, blah, blah, blah. I made all that stuff, but you know, 
like anything else, I mean, people change, opinions change, new information comes your way. Uh, you reanalyze things because you always want to try and falsify your beliefs and claims before you really stand by them. And something recently that I, I've come to the conclusion is, is that magazines are fucking great. <laughs> and I don't mean like GQ or Esquire. I mean, those are just full of, you know, half men bullshit. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what phrases to use there. Um, but I, I, I think that's all crap. Um, but, you know, one magazine I've said that I, I continue to subscribe to, and I don't mean magazines as in physical paper. I mean magazines as in the style of the presentation of information. Um, I've subscribed to 2600 for most of my life. I still do. Uh, you know, I, there's, there's various ways in which I get it now. Um, but I, I've come to the realization that magazines are a very wonderful thing. And in large part because they are mostly monthly they take the time, like I was talking about at the beginning of the show, where a lot of these news sources today, the websites and even podcasts and others, uh, they just report instantly on anything that comes out there and they don't take time. Oftentimes they get their facts wrong. They don't get, they don't take time to uh, get a full analysis of the information that was presented to them. They just want to generate clicks or, you know, ad sales or whatever the case may be. And so I really appreciate, I've come to appreciate magazines for a cup for a few things. One is that they, they respond after a lot of information has been revealed. They don't respond quickly. And that's a good thing because, you know, think of all the catastrophic things that, that have been announced, that the news announces have happened and whatever else. And look around you. Go ahead. You can look around yourself right now while you're listening to the podcast. I know it's unbelievable. How is the world still here? <laughs> I mean, I'm in shock. Like the house is still standing. How is that possible? My God, Heartbleed happened. Venom happened last week. How's my computer still working? I don't understand. That's the point is that we, I think a lot of, a lot of us, a lot of people are getting kind of herded into this react now mentality and where they're not taking the time to really chew on the information being presented to them. And it's an important thing to do And magazines do that. They do that. And it's also the other thing. So there's that. There's the fact that it gives you the time to process what gets, uh, you know, what gets um, put in front of you uh, in our instant communication world. The other nice thing about them is that it's very curated content. Content curation is kind of a buzzword, I guess, now in Silicon Valley. Maybe it has been for a while. But that's really I've, I've come to find that to be really important to have that content curation. Because it does the same thing where it just grabs what's like really big stuff. It takes the time and maybe something seemed really big for five minutes and then it meant nothing. Um, but it, it curates the content, puts it all together and almost gives a magazine can almost end up uh, unconsciously or subconsciously with a theme. Much like Sovereign Tech often can, because now we're talking about something we talked about in the very beginning of the show. We're talking about it also at the end of the show that wasn't necessarily by design. Not when I set up, you know, the, the, the show notes. So, you know, that, that, that sort of thing can happen and you end up with a beautiful presentation of information that really allows you to process it much more quickly. Okay. You know, in, in the, in the proper fashion, you know, that you process it. Uh, so there's that, you know, that I, I think those two points are really, really key. And now again, I'm not, I don't want like the whole paper industry. I totally understand, you know, the beautiful, wonderful thing that being able to have digital content allows for, of course, granted there's the chance that there's DRM or you're getting it through some kind of subscription service that you could lose it for all time, <laughs> you know, uh, you know what you, what you get. So if you can 
like, you know, when I, when I get books on, on Amazon, okay. And if you want to do that, go, go grab a complete liberty, complete liberty inside and out. Uh, but when, you, when I, which I talked about earlier, but when I get books on Amazon, I strip them of DRM instantly. Now, the reason I do that, look, you know, I paid for the book. It's not like anybody's losing out on any money. Well, maybe there's a future business model where they come out with some new edition and they want to rip like Sega did, where maybe they're going to release an HD version and they didn't want you to have this, the uh, the standard version of it. That way you have to purchase the HD if you want to play, right? Maybe people would do that with this content. Um, but you got to be able to, to strip the DRM from these things. Uh, and so, you know, just to have total control. And... Uh, I think it's honestly in, okay, yes. And from a business standpoint, you said, I agree. You signed the contract, yay contracts. Okay. That said, we have the right to take it away from you or whatever else. Most people don't even realize. And yes, I know that that's not, that's their lack of due diligence, but you often don't have the option to even purchase, say with magazines, like we're talking about digital magazines. You often don't even have the option to get a non DRM version of the magazine. And if you were technically able to do that, maybe that would be something that's outside of your general ability to do. Okay. Uh, and so the, the point I'm making here is that I don't think it's a terrible thing to torrent and download these magazines. If it were available to where you could get a, you know, non-watermarked DRM free PDF of the magazine, well then sure. I think it's a fine thing to, you know, go out and, and pay for it. But if they're like under, you know, if they're behind some kind of, you know, paywall uh, that, that you don't really have control over in the end. I mean, I think it's crazy, you know, to pay for a magazine and then you eventually lose that magazine. I'm just saying that as my own personal opinion and consumer, I'm not necessarily saying it's unethical, but I want control of that magazine. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with downloading magazines. And it's a very popular thing to get on torrent sites are downloads of these magazines. Um, and they're incredible to read. You know, there's some amazing magazines out there. Um, there's all about history, all about space. And that's the other thing too. Uh, the retro gamer is one of my favorites. I mean, you want to talk about a great reason for magazines. That's fucking amazing. Uh, you, you know, to, to read, um, a lot of these great magazines are from other countries they, that, you know, they speak English, they're written in English, but they're from other countries. There's no way, you know, by, by the way, systems are set up, you know, largely there's no way you're going to get your hands on those in the, in, you know, in the colonies in the U S or whatever, maybe you're in Canada, you know, try getting Netflix in Canada, right? Yep. Doesn't happen. So, you know, that's another case for why it's so important to be able to torrent these things and to, you know, strip the DRM from them. Okay. But, but my, my greater point is that there's great stuff getting written all around the world where magazines maybe are still viable and it's information that blows away anything you could read on the internet. Read, if you're a gamer, read one issue of retro gamer. And I, I mean, you'll cry. I almost do cry every time I read retro gamer. It's so beautiful of a presentation and, you know, and, and it's talking, talking about a topic that most, most game sites like Kotaku and others won't even touch on. It's all about old games. It's beautiful. In fact, even on the, like on the, the top edge of the cover of the magazine, digital or not, it says, you know, instead of saying new, it says old, <laughs> I love it, but it, you know, it's largely new content. Uh, so, you know, those are out there PC magazine, 
Uh, PC World, but PC Magazine itself is still putting out great content. John C. Dvorak still does his editorial at the end of each issue, uh, which is, you know, my opinion, required reading. Um, and, and a lot of this, again, you know, it shows you that it gives you that curated content and it, it gives you the process, the time. They take the time to react to what's going on instead of this instantaneous reaction that doesn't have all the facts. So that's a beautiful thing to read. Um, PC Gamer, some so some things don't. Like PC Gamer, as which would seem ironic considering how good Retro Gamer is, but like PC Gamer still sells a magazine. The magazine, I haven't found any benefit to reading the magazine over reading the website. Like they're, I don't know, the gaming world, maybe maybe things just happen so fast and it's like not so, there aren't so many cultural impacts to be had from modern gaming that maybe it just doesn't translate well. So this isn't like a carte blanche thing, like, or, you know, this isn't a, a broad stroke of a rule that somehow magazines are always better. Um, if the same thing has a website, but in large part, it's definitely something worth looking at 2,600, the hacker quarterly, which I talk about, uh, is still amazing. The stuff you can read out about, you know, read in that. And some of that you can't get online. We read that, uh, what was it? The hacker manifesto for the 21st century. And that was incredible to read. I didn't agree with all of it, but it was an incredible thing to read. But you, you're not going to find that online. You know, it's only in that magazine. Uh, and, and there's there's others. I, I can't think of, of all of them. A lot of like the men's magazines and the women's magazines. Like I'm not making a case for Cosmopolitan or Playboy or anything. I mean, that that you're even, you know, men's health or whatever. That that's just bullshit. <laughs> I mean, it really is like some magazines are terrible. Like, you know, Cosmo, you know, Cosmo and like muscle and fitness um, like how many, you know, like take muscle and fitness. That's a magazine that's been running for 40 years. And I used to get it like every month, but how really, how many workouts can you do? Like, at what point are you not just recycling information all over again? And the bulk of those magazines are just ads, you know, for the, the latest supplements and whatever else. And Cosmo's like, it's like, Oh, you know, 29 ways to blow his mind tonight and all this stuff. And it's like, really, you know, there are only, you know, the Kama Sutra was kind of a complete text. <laughs> not really, but I mean, there's only so much that you can put out there. So again, not all magazines are wonderful. It's a good thing that some magazines have died. Think Newsweek, uh, you know, here's you Satoshi, uh, <laughs> you know, there's lots of that, but at the same time, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's some amazing things, amazing innovations in the magazine realm that have happened out of a response to how can we make this more engaging, more exciting, more relevant than what gets put on a website. And some people have cracked that code and they have figured that that out. And I think it's awesome. I love it. Okay, I love the zines or even stuff that's still printed. Some of that is is great. Like the stuff Obsolete Press has been was putting out. I mean, phenomenal. Uh, you know those works. So there's still there's still room for this sort of thing out there. And I don't think that there should be like these crazy statements that oh well, just put it all on a website and let's update the news all the time. No, 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 no. There's something to a curated, well thought out, well written process. Uh, you know, story that a magazine seems to only be able to, uh, to provide. So anyway, check some of those out if you haven't. And uh, please feel free to donate to the show if you like or support us to have at SovereignTech.Ninja. Carpe Lucem! I'll see you on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed.
Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution. Evolution. 